Would you pray with me, Gateway family? Father, we have this morning, in prayers and in song, proclaimed the glorious gospel. And we have just heard in song as Justin led us there, Lord, of just what you've done for us. Lord, of your glorious grace that was at work in our lives, God. The Lord Jesus, you took the wrath, the holy wrath of God that we deserve, and you bore it in our place that we could be free. We just sung that it was about the glory of your name. It's not about us, but it's about you, Lord. We've proclaimed that earlier in song as well, of just declaring what a beautiful name you have. Declaring there's 10,000 reasons and more to bless your holy name. Father, we have sung of your name this day. Lord Jesus, we have sung of your name this day. Yet, Lord, in my own heart, and I know in the hearts of these brothers and sisters, we can sing of it and sometimes almost be unmoved because of the familiarity of it. And God, I pray this day in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, these glorious truths that we have just proclaimed in song, these glorious truths have already been prayed earlier in the service, these same truths that we will see from your word will come alive to us. Holy Spirit, would you take these glorious truths and breathe life into our soul that we might stand in awe and wonder. We've sung that we stand in awe and wonder about it, but I pray, God, that would not just be mere words of our mouth, but God, it would be what's happening in our hearts. Lord, I pray this morning that your word would come alive as once again we see what you have done for us, as once again we see from your word that it's nothing we could do because all we bring is our sin. Everything else is of you. God, help us understand it in new and fresh ways. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see the truth of your word. And may it change us. May it move us to affections, deeper affections for you, O Lord, and to greater desire to know you more. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, find in your copy of God's Word, Gateway Family, Ephesians chapter 5. If there is a theme that we have seen all throughout Ephesians and all throughout the Gospel of John before it, and that is if we really believe in Christ, it will change us. Sound like a broken record sometime, but it's what we keep seeing over and over in the Word of God. In John and in Ephesians, that if we believe in Christ, there will be a change that happens in our lives. Paul has been incredibly descriptive in the book of Ephesians to help us see that. I mean, just think about what we've seen in the first four chapters of Ephesians. He said that if we believe in Christ, we're now part of God's family. He used a family imagery to help our, get our minds around that. That we who were alienated from God, who were isolated from God, have been adopted. And think of the difference an adoption of an orphan makes. That happens in our life with God. In chapter 2, he took the imagery of death and life and said we were dead in our sins. But God, being rich in mercy, has given us life. And the difference between death to life and that image for us of the difference Christ has made in us. In chapter 2, he used the imagery of citizenship, that we who were far off, who didn't have any of the blessings of the covenant, have been brought near, have become citizens of God's kingdom, and the difference that makes. In chapter 4, he used images of stage of life for us, that we were children who were tossed to and fro and we were deceived, but now he's maturing us into Christ's likeness. In chapter 4, he used the imagery of taking off something that's dirty and putting on something that's clean to help us see that in Christ, he gives us much grace to take off, to put off what's old and to put on what is new. He's used image after image from family to citizenship, death to life, putting off, putting on, to help us get our minds around the fact that following Christ will transform us, will change us. But Paul's not done yet. He's got more to say about that. He's got more images for us 
this morning as well. And the new image he's going to give us to teach us that same glorious truth is the image of light, of going from darkness to light. Before we look at our text in Ephesians this morning, I want us to realize the significance of this image and what Paul's going to say to the people in Ephesus and to us. Because when he talks about darkness becoming light, we need to understand that light is a characteristic of God. All throughout the scriptures, we see light being used to describe God. In fact, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, there's this glorious truth that this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. All the scripture talks about the light of God. There's a lot that's encompassed in that image about God's nature. Part of it is it's his radiance. Think all the way back to Genesis. When God creates the world, he makes light, but there's no sun yet. He just makes light because his nature is light and there can be light. You go to Revelation, and in Revelation it says there could be no sun needed because God is the light. He gives the light. It's the radiance. It's his glory, the brightness. But it's not just his brightness. When we talk about God is light, it's also an image for us of his perfection, of his holiness, of his greatness, of his beauty, of his majesty, of his purity. It describes the goodness of all that God is. So then we come to John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus himself uses the same term to describe himself. He says to them, I am, it's one of these great I am statements of Christ, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So friends, I want that in our minds as we look at what Paul's going to say about light and what God has done for us. So when we talk about light, it is God's very nature. It's who Christ himself proclaims to be. And so as we come to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, we'll be looking at verses 7 through 10 this morning. As we look at that in light of what we just saw about God's nature being light, I want you to look for one thing as we read. What does God turn into light? God himself, who is light, is going to take something that is not light, and he's going to change his very nature to become light. So what is it that God changes itself to become light? Not just to radiate his light, not just to reflect his light, but to become light Itself. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Words will be on the screen for you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 through 10 this morning. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated there. So Ephesians chapter 5, verses 7 to 10, what does God turn to light? Well, perhaps I should say, who does God turn to light? And that's us, friends, followers of Christ. It's absolutely incredible that God takes his nature of light, the God who says, I am light, and he puts that nature into us to make us light as well. And so I want you to see this from God's Word today, this idea that as God puts His light into our lives, it transforms us. As God puts His light into our lives, it transforms us. That literally, God will give us His presence as light, but not just give us His presence. He will come, He will transform, He will change our nature to make our nature light as well. And such will radically change us. As God puts His light into our lives, it transforms us. Now to see where he's going with this flow of thought, let's look back at verse 7 to begin with, because this is all one continuous flow of thought in Paul's writing. So look back at verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Therefore, what we're seeing today about light has everything to do with what Paul has already been saying. He's going to give us the reason for what we've just seen, why we need to put off sin and put on 
holiness. Why we need to guard ourselves against the deceitfulness of sin in our own heart and the deceitfulness of sin of others around us. He says the reason for that, the reason we need to be so careful regarding sin and holiness is right here, verse 7. Do not become partners with them, them being those who are apart from Christ. Why are we not partners with them? He says, because your lives are different. What is different? Well, that's verse 8 for us here. Look at verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. He's saying the reason why you must put off the deeds of darkness, why you must put off the sinfulness of the world, do not copy the world, guard yourself against the deceitfulness of sin. The reason is because you are different. What's different? Well, God has changed our nature. What has he changed? Well, verse 8, notice where we start. It's not a pretty picture for us apart from Christ. It's not a pretty picture for all of humanity. He says, for at one time you were darkness. Notice he doesn't say you started in the darkness. He doesn't say you were in the darkness. He says, literally, apart from Christ, every single person themselves was darkness. He's describing the core of our nature. It's not that we're weak or sick or need some type of self-improvement or a little bit of help. He's saying, you're at your core, you're darkness. You're sinful. You're evil at the very core of who you are. When you see darkness in Scripture, it's a synonym for evil, for sinfulness. It's used in Scripture two ways. It's used both intellectually and morally. You see, darkness being used to describe our thoughts as well as our deeds and our actions. Intellectually, it describes not believing. You see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. In Romans 1, 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were what? They're darkened. In their minds and their thoughts and their feelings, they were darkened. They were evil. They did not acknowledge God. They did not worship God. And friends, what we believe translates into what we do, and so that translates to our actions as well. Then when you see darkness in Scripture, it's sinfulness as evil in actions as well. John chapter 3, verse 19, you see this. And this is the judgment. The light, that's Christ, has come into the world. And people love the what? The darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. And so when we look at John chapter 5, sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, when we go back to verse number 8, at one time you were darkness, he's saying in your whole being, in your thoughts, in your relationship to God, in your actions, in all of you, your whole being, you were totally sinful in all of it. Just sometimes we use the term total depravity, that you were, your whole of your being, evil and darkness. Well, friends, that's where we start, but thankfully that's not the end of the story. I loved it. One of you texted me this week thinking about last week's sermon, and your text was simple. The tenses are so important. And that's so true. The tenses are so important. Notice what it says. It doesn't say you are darkness, but in verse 8, for at one time, there's past tense, you were past tense, but no longer. You were darkness. That's not who we are anymore. Notice the next words there, but now. Something has changed. Though we were evil in our thoughts, though we were evil in our actions, though our whole being was broken under the weight of sin, and the only way to describe us was darkness, something has changed. In verse 8, notice what changes. But now you are light. Friends, this is absolutely stunning. Again, it's not that you're in the light. That would be amazing enough. If God took those of us, all of us, who were in darkness in our thoughts and in our actions, who were lost in our sin... That, okay, I'm going to put you in the light and let my light be around you. That would be absolutely stunning, but that's not even what he says. He doesn't even just say, listen, though you had all this darkness in you, I'm going to put my light in you. That would be stunning as well. But he doesn't say that. He says, you were darkness now, not just you're in the light, you are light. He is changing our very nature, taking the darkness out of us and putting his light 
into us, our nature's becoming more like God's. This is what 2 Peter chapter 1 describes for us. It's an amazing text in verses 3 and 4. His divine power, I'll just stop there. What's happening with us going from darkness to life is not something that we can create. Only he can do it. So his divine power is granted to us, believers, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And now notice verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become, and notice this next phrase, partakers of the divine nature. That you may become. His power at work makes you partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That his power lets us be partakers, lets us be sharers of his very nature. Now keep that in mind here, because the word partakers literally means people who share something, who are participating in something. Now contrast that with what we saw earlier in verse 7 where he tells us to not be partners, sharers, partakers with the world. Why are we not partners, partakers, sharers with the world? Because we're now partners, partakers, sharers, not just with God, but with his very nature that he is putting into us. He wants us to be pursuing, sharing his nature, his light. So therefore do not run after the things of the world. How does such a change take place in our lives? Verse 8, notice the very last phrase. But now you are light in the Lord. Friends, that's nothing you and I can do. Just as an orphan can't make himself be adopted, just as a dead person can't bring themselves back to life, those of us who are evil throughout, who are darkness throughout, cannot become light apart from the supernatural work of God. That God in his great mercy and grace, his love, has shown his light into our darkness, has breathed life into our dead souls, and changed our nature literally from darkness Not just to being in the light, but changing our nature to being light himself. And when that happens, friends, there's no way to help but it changing us. It will transform us. As God puts himself, put his light into our lives, it changes us. Look at verse 8. How does it change us? For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. He says, if his nature is in us, now he's telling us to walk it out. Now think back. Chapter 4, verse 1, the beginning of the second half of the book of Ephesians. We've seen this idea of walking before. He said there in chapter 4, verse 1, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk, that means to live, in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. We saw back then, some months ago, to walk worthy. The word worthy there meant to keep in balance. It's the Greek word axios, or axiom, in balance. To walk worthy means God says, here's who I see you to be. Now let me give you the strength and grace to practically Live it out. That's how you walk worthy. Apply that now to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, where we're told to walk as children of light. God has done what we could never do. He's taken our nature of darkness and made it light. Now he says, let me give you the strength and the grace to live that out. I see you now as light. I see myself in you. When I look at you, God says, I see Christ in you. Now live it out. Walk it out. Live it out in your daily life. Now, two clarifications before we see what that actually looks like practically. First of all is this. Walking worthy, walking in the light, is just as much God's work in our lives as us coming to faith in Christ. This is not, I need God's grace to become a Christian. Now I'm going to try in my own strength and just work, 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 strive, strive, strive to please God. No, the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us that we've been singing about is not only what brings us to faith in Christ, it's what sustains us throughout our whole life. The gospel is just as much for followers of Christ, it is for a non-believer to come to faith in Christ. So this idea of walking in the light is still God's work in us. Notice verse 9 here in this phrase. After we're told, walk is torn in light, he says, for the fruit of light 
It's found in all that is good and right and true. Fruit means the results of something. The results of what? Of God changing our nature. The results of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. The results of God taking out our darkness, putting light into our lives. Because of that, the, the changes come. So when we talk about what's going to change in our life, don't hear this as white-knuckle determination. I'm going to try harder. This is grace, grace, grace of God changing us. Second clarification as we think about walking in the light. Friends, it's a process. We're not going to achieve perfection in this life. First John's very clear about that. We will still struggle with sin. But this is the process of God growing us in holiness, of God giving us grace to grow in walking in the light. And this happens gradually through our lives. Have you ever thought about how grateful we should be that God doesn't show us every sin in our life the moment we come to faith in Christ? Do you know how overwhelming that would be that you trust Christ, your Lord, all of a like, boom, here's everything that's sinful in your heart. We would get crushed under the weight of it. What does God do? In his grace, he convicts us of some sin in our life, and we repent, and we seek grace, and we find his strength to change, and we begin to overcome. When we overcome that sin, it's not like, I'm done. What does he do? He shows another sin, and we repent, and we begin to grow in that, and we seek his grace, and we begin to walk in the light. And what does he do? He shows us another sin. And as we go through our Christian life, none of us in this room have arrived at a place where we're like, man, it's been years since God had to convict me of any sin. We still struggle with it every day because the more we know Christ, the more we see the depths of our hearts and our old sinful nature, and the more we see how much grace we need. That's what we call progressive. It's happening slowly. Sanctification, him growing us in godliness. This is a process. So we see that we're to walk in the light. This is not a command to go get your life straightened out on your own tomorrow. This is us seeking God's grace day by day by day by day as he continues throughout the, until the day we see him face to face to grow us. And godliness. With that in mind, though, what does it practically look like to strive to walk in the light, to seek his grace to now live out who he said we are with a nature of light? Well, Paul's going to show us here, and it's in these parentheses in verse 9. He has this little interjection. He says, walk as children of light. Then verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. The fruit, the results, what changes in our life if God has changed our nature? If we really believe in Christ, what changes is going to show in our lives in terms of things that are good and right and true? Well, when I first was reading this this week, studying for it, I got kind of annoyed with Paul at this point. Because I'm going, Paul, can you get any more broad and non-specific for me here? I like specific lists. I like for him to say, okay, if you are in the light, here's what's going to change. Your speech will be dot, dot, dot. Your thoughts will be dot, dot, dot. Your actions will be... I want like a 10-point checklist to see if we're in the light or not. He doesn't do that. He instead it's like, the free of the light will be found in anything possible that's good and right and true. I'm like, oh, come on, Paul. How vague can you get? What's he trying to do here? He's not trying to be vague. I think he's trying to help us see... That if Christ has changed our nature, that if we are in the light and now have the light of Christ in us and our nature is becoming light, that it's going to affect every area of our life. Think about these terms. He uses the terms good and right and true. Good deals with how we interact with one another. That if our nature is no longer darkness but light, it'll change how we relate to each other. Right. Same idea as righteousness. It deals with how we relate to God. That if we are, if our new nature is light, it will change how we approach God true what's happening in our heart it's going to change what happens in private in my thinking paul's saying here listen if you if you have a new nature if christ has taken out the darkness and put light in you made your nature light breathe life into you it will show in goodness and how you relate to one another it'll show in righteousness and how you relate to god it'll show in truth and what happens even in private let's look at those words the word goodness describes how we relate to other people the word here for good describes morality 
It's the, but in the Greek particularly, it's the idea of a willing sacrifice for the good of others. It's the, it's the idea of generosity for the good of others. So when he says the fruit of this, the, the result of our nature now being liked like God, is that we will see more and more growth in our life of being willing to sacrifice for the good of others. More and more growth in being generous for the good of others. That if he has taken out the darkness and put light into us and making us a light, then it will begin to show progressively through our lives, by his grace, not by our efforts, a greater concern for others over self. That's good. That's the goodness here. The other one, though, the next word is the word right or righteousness. This describes how we relate to God. It's to remind us, friends, when we trust Christ, it's not just all of our sin is taken away, that that is part of it. All of Christ's righteousness is given to us. So when God sees us, he doesn't just see, oh, I've forgiven him. He sees in us all of the righteousness, the goodness of Christ. And so this is not anything we can earn on our own. But the, the term righteousness here right, is relating to how we relate to God. That as he changes our nature to light, we now begin to love what's righteous even more. We begin to love obeying him more and more. In time, he's changing our nature to where we long more and more for his commands, long more and more for obedience, find ourselves desiring more and more to please him. It's describing how we relate to God and what he requires of us. As he changes our nature to become light, we begin to love obeying him more and more. The last word he uses is the word true or truth. This deals with our personal integrity. The word encompasses a lot in the Greek, but it's honesty, it's reliability, it's integrity, which is I define as what you do when no one is looking. When no one but God sees what's happening in our hearts and our lives and in private. And friends, as we become light by God working in us, he changes our nature to where more and more we want to please him, even in the areas that no one else will see. Even when no one is looking in our thoughts and what we do in private, we find a growing desire, not because of anything in us, but because he has changed our nature. He has made us light. We therefore begin to long to do what is right, even if no one else will ever know. Friends, all of this gets summarized in verse 10. What does it look like to walk as children of light? What does it look like to try to do what's right before the Lord? Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. It's an amazing verse, but there's an unfortunate word here for us. You know, I love the ESV, but they put a word in here that was not in the Greek. And that's the word try. The word try nowhere appears in the original. In fact, there's no verb in this verse. I know why the translators added in, but I think, at least in my heart, it leads me down a path I don't think Paul meant for us to go. All you have here in verse 10 is, is a participle that says discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Verse 9 is a parenthesis, so if you take his main sentence, that's verses 8 and 10, walk as children of light, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. That's the idea. Walk as children of light, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Walk discerning. Walk discerning what pleases God. Now, we just told us what that will look like, what the fruit is, but at the core is this discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. What does it mean to walk discerning? To discern means to examine something, to verify something. And Paul is taking all this idea of goodness and righteousness and truth and saying if God changes our nature and replaces our nature of darkness with the nature of light, there become heart affections that long to please God. Again, friends, we will blow it a lot in this life. We will mess up a lot in this life. But there is a growing, a progress of his grace giving us greater affections to obey him, to please him, to understand what he wants, and then to, by his grace, not by our strength, to live it out in our lives. To, dis- to walk discerning means we live focused on understanding what pleases God and how we relate to him. 
to understand what pleases God and how we relate to one another, to understand what pleases God even when no one else is looking. And how do we know what pleases Him? Friends, He's told us. And I fear we lose the wonder of the fact that we don't have to get up in the morning wondering what pleases God. That He has shown us, He's revealed to us exactly who He is, who we are, and what it looks like to, in the the words of chapter 4, to walk worthy, or the words of chapter 5, to walk as children. He's told us that, and I pray we rediscover the wonder of knowing that we have the revelation of God where we don't have to guess what pleases God. And it's right here in the pages of Scripture. So how do we walk as children of light, discerning what pleases the Lord? It sounds overly simplistic, friends, but we go back to the Word of God. We read it. We study it. We meditate on it. We memorize it. We talk about it with our families. We talk about it with our friends. We study it in small groups. We open it expectantly for the Word of God to speak to us. And we see that all throughout the Bible. That is the expectation. Go all the way back to Old Testament. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This is when God is preparing Joshua for his leadership with the the people of Israel. And I love what he tells Joshua. He doesn't just tell him, go figure out the strategy and you'll be okay. He says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it. Now, this is not some type of Eastern meditation where you're trying to clear your mind. Meditation in the Bible is thinking deeply about it. You shall meditate. You shall think deeply about, about the book of the law day and night. So may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. For then you will have good success. What do we need to do if we want to discern what's pleasing to the Lord to walk as children of light? We need to meditate on his word day and night. The same idea is found in the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul tells the people in Rome, do not be conformed to this world. Sounds a lot like Ephesians 5, doesn't it? Same idea here, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed, be changed. What? By the renewing of your mind. That by testing, similar word to what we're looking at in Ephesians 5, that by discerning, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we know what God's will is? How do we know what is good and acceptable and perfect to the Lord and what He desires for us, the path He wants us to run down? How do we be transformed? We renew our minds. We renew our minds with what? Back with the Word of God. Friends, it sounds so simple, yet we neglect it so often. We go back to the Word of God to see what pleases God. Friends, as God puts His light into our lives, it will transform us. He will change our nature from darkness to not just being in the light, but to light. As he changes our nature to light, we begin to desire what he desires. We become partakers of the divine nature. We begin to desire more and more of what pleases him. And that then affects how we relate to him, how we relate to each other and what we do in private. Friends, this idea of God transforming us as he makes our nature light raises four questions I want to leave us with today. It's challenges. First one is this. Is our confidence we are going to heaven based on something we did in the past or knowing he's changed our nature? Is our confidence that we're going to heaven based on something that we have done? Is my confidence I'm going to heaven because, well, I prayed that prayer, I walked the aisle, I joined the church, I've been a Sunday school teacher for 15 years, whatever. Is our confidence in what we've done, is our confidence in Christ has changed me. I know he has done what I cannot do. He took out my darkness and my thoughts and my life and he has put his light into me. I love what John MacArthur says. He says, assurance of salvation cannot be reliably determined by what happened in the past, no matter how dramatic or meaningful at that time. Listen, that. assurance of salvation cannot be reliably determined by what has happened in the past, no matter how dramatic or meaningful at the time. Assurance of salvation can only be based with certainty 
on the evidence of present fruit being produced by spiritual life. Friends, over the years in pastoral ministry, I've had so many people when they tell me, like, oh, I know I'm going to heaven. I remember when I was 13, it was so real at that youth camp. I remember when I was this, this happened, but there's no evidence of fruit. There's no conviction of sin. There's no transformation in how they relate to God and relate to other people and in private. I think MacArthur's words are sobering for us. Assurance can only be based with certainty on the evidence of present fruit being produced by spiritual life. Is our confidence in what we did in the past was our confidence that God did it and it's showing now. He's producing that fruit. Second question for us. Are there areas in my life that I do not want God's light to shine into? Because we saw last week in Ephesians chapter 5 in the earlier verses, in verses 5 and 6, that there's a very real danger that Paul warns about, about our own hearts being deceived by sin, the other people around us trying to persuade us that sin is okay. Friends, are there areas in our life that we're clinging to that we really do not want, deep down in our heart, that probably none of us would ever say it verbally out loud, but that we really don't want God's light to, to shine into, that we become content with these sins in our life. And if they are friends, we need to cry out to the Lord this week saying, search me, shine your light, and take out the evil and put in your truth. Third question for us, though, friends, does the amount of time I spend in God's word indicate that I really want to please him? Does the amount of time I spend in God's word indicate I really want to please him? We just saw in here that walk as children of light, discerning what pleases the Lord. There's no substitute for that for the word of God. And it may be we need to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to increase my desires for your word. I think that's the type of prayer that God delights. And God, stir my heart affections for your word. And perhaps we need to ask our spouse, our friends, our small groups to hold us accountable, to be more intentional, to really strive to see what pleases the Lord. And then fourth question for us is, is my new nature of light pointing others to Christ as well? Is my new nature of light pointing others to Christ as well? It's a whole sermon for a whole other day, so I'm not even going to put it on the screen. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 15. After Jesus has already seen other places that he's the light of the world, he then looks at his followers and says, You are the light of the world. Friends, he gave us a new nature of light, not for us to keep it just about us, but that he might be glorified as others get pointed to the light as well. Is our new nature of light pointing others to Christ? Are those around us at school at work, in our neighborhood, perhaps even in our own homes? Do they see the light of Christ in us? And is it making a difference for them as well? Friends, I pray this week as we think about God putting his light into our lives, I pray that it will lead us to awe and wonder. That God did what you and I could never do. He took out the evil of our heart and he took out the, the stony heart and put in a heart of flesh. He took those of us dead spiritually and breathed life into us. And he took those of us who all had evil hearts, who were evil, and instead he put his light into us and made us light. And I pray this week we would find confidence knowing that he did it. I pray this week we find fresh conviction as he shines his light into all corners of our life. I pray this week that, his, that we would grow in our affections for knowing his word, knowing he's speaking to us, and that in light of all that, then our light would shine to others as well. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful that you are a God of light, and we're so thankful that you're a God who's revealed yourself to us. And Lord, I pray in my heart and the heart of these brothers and sisters that this week, God, we would rediscover the wonder of the gospel, that we would rediscover the wonder that you looked upon us who had no hope and had no way of getting to you, 
and you chose us. You adopted us. You made us citizens. You have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You have given us an inheritance, Lord. You have made us your sons and daughters. God, you have taken us who are dead and have given us new life. And Father, you took us out of our darkness and made us light. Father, I pray this week we would just really, as we sang earlier, stand in awe of you doing what we could never do taking the dead and breathing life in, taking those in darkness who were darkness and making us alive together with Christ. That you took us, your enemies, and have seated us at your table, and you took your nature of light and put that in us. Father, help us treasure, wonder, stand amazed this week at what you have done. And God, I pray as we ponder these miracles of work you've done in our lives, we ponder the gospel. I pray it would lead us to new affections for you, God. That this would not be weak that any of us just get in the routine of life and just become cold in our approach to you, praying out of duty or reading the word out of duty. <coughs> but Lord, that we would this week have a desire for a relationship with you who rescued us, who's changed us and is still changing us. And I pray this week that in my life and the life of these precious brothers and sisters that we would have an increased hunger for your word. God, that we would understand that you've given us the words of life. You've shown us what pleases you. And God, that we wouldn't just do the disciplines of Bible reading because we're supposed to. But God, because we want to hear from you and you have spoken to us. And God, I pray this week as well for myself and these brothers and sisters, Lord, that the light of Christ would shine through us, not to draw attention to us, but to draw attention to you. God, just as you told us that we are now the light of the world, Father, there are people in our schools, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, who we are the light that you've put there to point them to you. God, help us understand the awesome responsibility, the awesome joy you've given us to be used by you as your ambassadors this week to help others find the light of God. And I pray we be found faithful this week to let the light of Christ shine brightly, not for us, Lord, but for you and for your glory. Lord, we confess we can't do any of this. Lord, we cannot stir our own heart affections for you. We can't muster up enough strength to fall in love with your word. We can't muster up enough courage to talk to someone around us about Christ this week. But God, you can. And I pray this week we see our need for the gospel as much as the first time we heard the gospel and believed. And that we'd realize we need you just as much to live all this out. So would you have your way in us, taking us, your people, who you love, and make us more and more children of light who will make you known to others and bring you glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?